Nate Brown is a perpetual student of the world's greatest experiences and the people who create them. Having spent the first decade of his career managing a complex technical support environment for occupational health and e-learning software, Nate transitioned to customer experience in 2015. After authoring the CX Primer, CX's customer experience, Brown was dubbed the CX Influencer of the Year by CloudCherry in 2019 and a top global CX thought leader by over half a dozen organizations and associations. As a passion project, Nate created the CX Accelerator, a first-class virtual community for customer experience professionals. He currently serves as the chief experience officer for Officium Labs and can be found at a variety of conferences speaking and training for the CX topics he loves. So we started out discussing the brand promise. What does your brand stand for and what's the promise it's making? And what expectations are you setting? He then teaches us about the peak end rule. Your patients will remember the first and last impressions most. So what are you doing to maximize their experiences at those points? When his daughter had surgery at Vanderbilt, they were given a journey map. So they'd know what their day was going to look like. And this concept really could be applied to so many of our patients' journeys. And lastly, with the coming great resignation, what can we do to create a culture of appreciation within our practices so we don't experience a great resignation. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. As a medical professional, you should be focusing on fixing people's lives. But as a key decision maker in your practice, you have to figure out how to grow your patient volume, keep up with reviews, and how to stay connected on social media. You don't have time for that. You went to medical school, not marketing school. But good news, your team at Advice Media did. Their pyramid of success was created for professionals like us. The pyramid has six stages that, when combined, creates the ideal digital presence. Give them just 30 minutes to consult with you. We bet you're doing some things really well, and there might be some areas where you can improve. Just for spending the time, they'll give you a $60 Amazon gift card. So don't delay. Do your demo today. Go to drpodcastnetwork.com slash advice media. That's drpodcastnetwork.com slash advice media. Nate Brown, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hello, Brad. It's my pleasure. I've been very much looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for having me. Great. My pleasure. I've been looking forward to this too. So let's start out with a more macro before we go patient experience focused. At Officium Labs, your motto is win or learn, right? And we're going through a time where I think not many people have been doing a lot of winning. So how do you guys really live this even in the more challenging times? Yeah, it's a Nelson Mandela quote, and our CEO, Jonathan Schroer, quotes it often at very opportune moments <laughs> when there's learning going on and winning. It's just a great reminder of the fact that we're all evolving on a journey here. We shouldn't be overcome or too caught up in our failures. And I love the strengths finder exercise when I'm doing a team building because it, it focuses on your strengths. It focuses on the things that you can double down on and gain a laser focus on and get a unique value proposition around in terms of what you can do for a team. And it prevents you from focusing too much on your weaknesses. And I feel like that mantra, that motto does for us as a group, the same thing. 
It lets us focus on the things that we're doing really well and not get too caught up in the areas in which maybe we didn't quote unquote win, even if that's clear what that means. What we did do is we learned something. We gained some valuable wisdom that will help us down the road to be even better and smarter. So you alluded to uh, strength exercise? Strengths finder. Strengths finder. Okay, so what is that? So I have the book somewhere over there. It's a great exercise that you can do with a team where it's answering all these questions about who you are, what you love, what you're excited to do in a work context. It makes it really clear like what your top five strengths are in terms of what you can add to a team dynamic or team chemistry. And so for me, like I'm somebody that loves to inspire and to motivate. I, I love to get people excited about the work that they're doing and to unlock that little bit of energy and passion so that they're caring even more about the customer, about each other, about the other employees inside of their work environment. That's one of the strengths that I have as an activator. But there's 36 different strengths that you might have. And together that defines to some degree who you are inside of a team. Interesting. So who decides what your strengths are? Is it the individual themselves or it has to be an outside observer that identifies the strengths? So you're answering like 120 questions okay. through this assessment process. And then at the end of it, it gives you what your top five strengths are. It's an assessment. That'll be something interesting for us to run through in our patient experience committee and see what yeah. we can glean from it and learn about each other. Indeed. I mean, one of my favorite parts about it is you know, we spend a lot of time doing like performance management, coaching and quality monitoring, you know, things that generally have a negative connotation. This totally breaks those type of conversations and it focuses on, wow, I'm really good at these things. Yeah. But then what we did inside of one of the teams that we serve at a Fortune 10 gaming organization is we had the different agents inside of this customer service team edifying and acknowledging one another's strengths and having a conversation about why I see this in you. And here's an example of how this was manifested in our work environment. And that peer-to-peer -peer admonishment, it's amazing how galvanizing that is and how much loyalty that can bring into the workplace. Yeah, I can see that because a lot of times what happens is you're doing a great job. Here's what I love about you, but here's what you did wrong. And all you end up taking away is here's why you suck. Yeah, the old poop sandwich that we yeah. so often use. Yes. <laughs> this is just focus on your strength. Indeed. Great. So let's move a little more towards specifically customer experience. Are there any companies that really stand out to you with regards to customer experience? Yeah, not healthcare yet. We're just talking customer experience. And then we'll get to healthcare. Yeah, just in general, who does this well? Who should we be modeling? You know, everyone says American Express, Four Seasons, and Disney, right? Those are the ones that come to mind and the books that I've read. So you live this. So what other <laughs> companies, what's on the tip of everybody's tongue? Yeah, a couple others to look out for is Graphite RX. We'll get to that one in a minute. That's more healthcare focused, but Feather.com. So it's this amazing organization where you, can sustainably rent furniture. There's this whole thing called fast furniture that's out there in the world where people buy your $100 bookshelf or something like that. It deteriorates within a year and a half. It ends up on the curb or it ends up in the landfill. There's just a, a whole, whole, whole lot of that that happens in our society. So this is a sustainability organization that sets out to get people much nicer stuff more affordably and to do it in a far more sustainable way. So they've got this whole experience designed around this really innovative way of making living spaces nicer and more creative and being able to share furniture with others in the community. So it's a great organization. So Feather, another one is Showfields. If we want to talk Katie, the founder there, just a remarkable individual. And you want to look at somebody who is good at creating holistic experiences. 
And Showfields is neat because if you think about a store and the store is there and they sell the same stuff and they're just hoping that different people are going to come and buy that same stuff in a store. And she breaks that and she's like, we're going to use this space to create an experience and we're going to rotate that experience and bring different vendors and different products and different things into this space so that the same people can come back and get a totally different experience quarter after quarter and make this space way more creative and dynamic. So they're switching out the artwork, they're switching out the music, the colors, everything to match whatever vendor is being displayed and put on showcase at Showfields. So, I mean, what a neat way to think about how can we make this space more dynamic? Again, there's the sustainability play because you're bringing something new to a community of people instead of trying to get the community of people to go somewhere else to find something new. So this is clothing? Generally clothing. Okay. There's all dis- different types of things. I mean, they're taking a vendor of extremely high quality that's very innovative, that's very different, and they're going to feature that vendor that is consistent with the quality expectations of Showfield and bring people something totally new. I think generally we're talking about clothes, but it could be far beyond that. It also comes to mind like that's a sales tactic, like scarcity, right? Because you try it on these pair of pants, you like them, you know, love them, you know, maybe I can always come back and I can get them later. Yeah. But with this, it sounds like, you know what? They might not be here the next time I'm here. So if I like them, better get them now. That's a good point. That urgency is installed. Very good. The last one I'll give you is Midday Squares. Really cool startup organization out of Montreal. And they are attacking the functional chocolate bar space. So think about if a candy bar and a protein bar had a baby, you'd have a functional chocolate bar that did good things for your health, but that also tasted amazing. And that would give you that little burst of energy that you need as your midday snack. And they have created a remarkable experience around this product. And they're so fun. They had this incredible brand voice. I'm Joanna Dos Santos is the CX manager there. And she is just a remarkable individual who's so creative, so passionate. And is making people healthier, making them happier, just infusing a little bit of excitement and energy into their day, both through the product and through her personality and through the personality of the company. So a great example of a small organization or a startup company who's embedded customer experience in from day one and is now using that to gobble up market share. It's amazing what they're doing to penetrate. So I think that's a good time to pivot into healthcare because if you have this chocolate bar that's saying like, we're tastier than the others, but we're also healthy. There's a little spin there that's getting into a little dicey territory, right? Because what defines healthy, what defines good for you, it's really not binary. It's not good versus bad. And Mm -hmm. so if you're going to make something taste really good, there's going to be some salt, there's going to be some sugar, there's going to be some fat, there's going to be something in there where it might not be as good as raw kale. So in healthcare, unfortunately, we spend a lot of time deflating people's balloons, right? (laughs) I can see that. I'm sorry that this thing that you thought was benign is not. I'm sorry that this cough that you thought was not a big deal, it is. We tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. Yeah. Right. That's our obligation. We have to do it in such a way that's easier to hear, that's easier to understand, For us, that's the big challenge, like doing it and yet making the patient have a positive experience. Mm. So let's move on to healthcare. Are there healthcare companies that you think do this well? And with a caveat, because there are a lot of healthcare companies who do tell people what they want to hear, 
not what they need to hear. Like we're taking a holistic approach to your health. Yeah. We're including all this technology and this stuff comes across my Facebook feed. And mm. I know that it's mostly smoke and mirrors. It's yeah. mostly things that drive up the cost. And we're not talking about big academic institutions. We're talking about some of these startups. So I'm asking this question about who do you think does it well? Keep in mind that some of these companies that look like they're trying to deliver care really well sometimes are using the wellness shtick. Yeah. So sorry to deflate your balloon on that. I totally respect that. And thank you for calling those organizations out. And I mean, this is one of my favorite books in the world. Denise Leone Fusion is talking about how you make a brand promise, any organization, healthcare or not, you're exposing to the world what it is that you do. You're making a promise to the earth of this is the service we provide and this is how we provide it. And when you break that promise, there is just bad thing that happens there. It's worse than just one customer becoming disloyal. It embeds this sense of miscarried justice. And that's why we see so many people that are out there on a war path against a brand. They feel as though the justice of the world has been wronged because a brand promise was made, an expectation was set. And when that is knocked off course, when we feel as though we've been lied to, we feel like we have to restore truth to the situation. So it's good that we put companies like that in a spotlight and we hold them accountable to their brand promises. So which brand promises? I definitely want to come back to that, but let's go where we were going before, which is the healthcare companies that you think do patient experience well and keep their brand promise. Yeah. Well, I mean, Vanderbilt healthcare, Yeah, <laughs> I think they set the bar in a lot of ways. But when my daughter needed care, she had to remove her tonsils and her adenoids, but she was very young and we were all very nervous about it. I mean, it was just a semi-major procedure in terms of the invasiveness, putting her under, you know, all these things. But, oh my goodness, when we were in there, we were privy to both the incredible intentionality of the experience that Vanderbilt creates inside of their children's hospital and beyond. But we witnessed the care providers that were doing it, what you described, Brad. In terms of there was a very sad situation happening around us in several instances where the balloon was being deflated. And in that moment, there's just a vulnerability that is hard to express that happens. I mean, your circle of safety has been shattered. And in that moment, you need to be restored to the tribe. You need to feel as though people are going to restore you and bring you back into a place of safety. And that vulnerability is where we feel alone. We feel as though we've been separated from the rest of society or separated from our tribe. And when the care provider could and did offer this message that was so heavy and introduce that vulnerability, but at the same time was able to give so much real authentic hope about what the next steps would look like and how they were not alone at all in this process. It was remarkable to see and to hear the amount of hope that was generated through the experiences designed there. It's not something you can teach or educate. I mean, it's just something built into the culture there. Of This is why we do what we do. We care about these people. And that is manifested in the way that we think about them. These behaviors are how we show that. We're thinking about the experiences that we're creating from the moment they walk into the door, making it clear the steps that are happening, setting the right expectations, guiding people through those. But then in those moments of truth, in which something like vulnerability was established, being able to restore them in the best possible way. So I was blown away by Vanderbilt Healthcare in, in those moments, just seeing and witnessing all of this. And for our daughter, it was a remarkable experience. So I just feel very indebted to them for everything that they're doing in the Nashville community and beyond. 
Another one is Graphite RX. My friend David over there is the CEO, and he's just been on mission to make it easier for people to get the medications that they need. And just seeing how broken the pharmaceutical process is in terms of people's ability to acquire the medications and just how much inflation has entered into that process in all different ways, inefficiencies into that process. I really feel like what they've done at Graphite RX. Who are they? What are they doing? And what is it that makes it that they're so in tune with the patient experience? Yeah, from the beginning, they've really embedded just a reimagining of the way that pharmacy is procured and distributed. It's marketplace technology. It's a platform that makes it really easy for pharmacies and for suppliers to ultimately exchange, to share, to work together so that the customer can get the things that they need cheaper and faster. So it's a marketplace platform, as it were. But I really feel like they've embedded just great customer experience and customer centricity from the very beginning into what they're doing. So that, in my opinion, would be one healthcare company that's a little bit non-traditional. They're a little bit more behind the scenes, but yet they're providing this valuable service and they're raising the bar for healthcare in general in terms of bringing efficiency into it. It's trying to really maximize value to the customer through great process, great technology, great procedures. I mean, that should be standard across healthcare. And it's not yet, as I'm sure we're going to talk about in this episode. They're one company that I feel like has set out to do it really well, to raise the bar and seem to be achieving that objective so far. Yeah. That's something that I'm seeing in mail-away pharmacies. Okay. So like you've got your CVSs and your Walgreens, right? These big change pharmacies where it's a really impersonal experience. Like you might have a relationship with your personal pharmacist that's there, but just the way they manage things, we have a lot of trouble with the cost of medication yeah, when we're going exactly. through them. But I have patients that sometimes, and this doesn't happen often in my practice, but sometimes when I end up getting medications for myself, actually that shows a disconnect. Maybe I should be reaching out to these mail-away pharmacies yeah. more to help take care of my patients. They for will sure. go out of their way to try and find coupons and this and that and cheaper ways to make it happen. Whereas CVSs are like, no, we're not going to run that. But right. no, we didn't see it. Like it's out there and it'll take a little extra effort on their part. They don't need the business. They're overflowing with the business. But these mail-aways, they're fledgling businesses. They're hungry for patients. And so they'll do whatever they can to try and make it a better. It's ripe for that type of innovation. Yeah. There's been so much unnecessary inflation that has occurred in healthcare that ultimately generates profits, but it is restricting. It is really creating hurdles and unnecessary cost for the patients. And we all know there's a lot of beneficiaries to that game. And it's a captive audience of people that have to have this care and these type of medications. So to have companies that are willing to change that dynamic and to maximize customer value and bring more integrity to the customer, oh, it's good. Yeah. So you had mentioned before with that book Fusion, right? Let's talk a little more about the brand promises that healthcare companies should yeah. be making. Like how do we, because I would think that all healthcare companies would have the same brand promise. We will do our best to make you healthier. We will do our best to make you feel better. But is there more nuance there that we can use to define us, to set us apart from the pack? I mean, generally, at least for me, when I'm helping an organization to form a brand promise, it ultimately is going to boil down to those behaviors and those mentalities. How do we want to feel about our customers and how do we want our customers or our patients to feel about us? What are those unique characteristics in terms of that feeling that we generate? And then what are those behaviors that are going to support that? There's a great book out there called Story Brand by Donald Miller, and it helps to lock in this brand promise in a way where it's not so centric to the organization. 
it makes the customer or the patient the hero of the story. And it forces you to answer the question, how can I guide them to success? I'm not the hero of the story. I am the guide. I am Yoda. I'm Dumbledore. You know, I'm a doctor. I'm the hero of the story. <laughs> I'm the hero. No. I'm saving the day. You're incredible, Brad. But in this case, we put the patient in that hero spotlight and it's our job to guide them to what their definition of success is. So if I'm an athlete who's not able to compete anymore, the story is how can I restore this individual to do the thing that they love? And you as a doctor get to be that guide to restore them into being the hero of that story. And it's an incredible thing. So our brand promise gets to be who is that hero? Who's the customer that we're trying to serve? What is the unique way that we guide them, that we restore them? That is the foundation of a good brand promise right there. Yeah, I'm thinking from my practice, we're a huge ear, nose, and throat just took out the tonsils, <laughs> something we do all the time, and allergists. And okay. so one of the things that sets us apart is access. Like mm -hmm. Our brand promises we will get you in quickly because often access to specialists it took me six months to see a primary care physician because I couldn't get an appointment. And it wasn't because it had to be 2.30 on the second Wednesday of the month. Yeah. So access is a problem in healthcare. And so one of the things that we do is our brand promises, we will get you in to see a specialist quickly. So I think using that and then making sure we keep that promise. Gosh, I'm having that right now, Brad. I mean, I've been out here working in the woods on my property in Tennessee. I've been bitten by probably 30 ticks. Shame on me. I haven't taken correct preventative measures. I'm pretty sure I got Lyme disease and I'm calling my primary care physician and being like, I've got these headaches. I'm low on energy. I've had all these tick bites. I need to be tested for Lyme. And they're like, I guess you could come in and you could see a nurse practitioner and this and that, I guess. Like, what is it that you're, you're just having a headache? Like, is there an urgent need? I'm like, well, no, but I want to be tested for this. I'm just not sure what's going on with my body right now. So I have an old episode on Lyme disease, if you want to go back in my compendium and listen to it. So yeah, so you were asking was like, I've been bitten by ticks and I'm worried I might have Lyme disease. I'm having these symptoms. It could be anything. But what I want to know is, do I have this or don't I? And if you can give me a definitive answer, then great. My question is pretty basic, right? Just answer it. Like you made an appearance. They weren't answering your question. They were answering like, do you have a headache? Do you want to be seen for a headache? Like I need a chief complaint. I need you to write something. I need something to go in this box so I can make an appointment for you. Like headache. Okay, headache. Fine. Here's my process. You're not fitting it. And literally I just hung up the phone and gave up. Yeah. Because I mean, she says like, I guess you could see your doctor, but it'd be three or four months. I'm like, you know what? Forget it. And I just hung <laughs> yeah. up the phone. Yeah. So yeah, accessibility, huge problem. Yeah. In this case, her ability to just listen to the fact that I need help. I don't know what's going on with my body. I need you to be the guide right now. Help me. Yeah. And she, at least in this case, was not equipped to do that. All she had was her process, her box, and she wasn't able to break it for me to be able to be helped in this case. Well, that's a great lead in to <laughs> a time that you needed healthcare. And then with your customer experience lens, what recommendations would you have made to a healthcare system? You can use your tick experience or your daughter's tonsil experience or whatever you feel is appropriate. I'll introduce another one. I mean, I'm 37. I did the whole thing that I think a lot of us do, sadly, as men, especially probably. And I neglected to see the doctor for about 15 years <laughs> after I left my parents home and just never bothered. And finally, I got smart enough and looked around and saw my two kids and was like, I have to take better care of myself. This is stupid that I've been so negligent with my own health. 
And so I finally went in to select a new primary care physician, which was a nightmare, of course. I finally got in there to see this individual. First, it was like the two seconds of, so do you ride bikes? Yeah, you know, I kind of like cycling, you know, that's cool. And he spent like the one allotted minute of like personal connection. And you could just feel like the inauthenticity of it. Mm -hmm. And just immediately shifted to, okay, so what's wrong with you? I don't know. Like I'm here to kind of learn like my cholesterol level, I think could be a little high. Here's some symptoms I've experienced. You know, there's nothing wrong with me, but I need a guide. Like I need to know how I can be healthier long-term. That wasn't the conversation. I mean, this was somebody that was literally wanting to inject me with different vaccinations on site at that first visit. And I'm just like, I don't even know you. I don't know what is going on right now with my body. I don't want to put anything in it right now. I'm here to be guided. I'm here to be educated. I'm here to just have a conversation about my health and to establish a relationship with you in which I trust you with my body. And there was not that translation that happened. That did not occur. And of course, you know what I did? The dumbest thing. I just didn't go to the doctor again for years. Like an idiot, because I didn't like it. I yeah. had a bad experience and I didn't trust him. And I didn't want to go through the process again of trying to find another care physician. I finally did find one in Smyrna, Tennessee that I love. And I am very willing to go back to at this point. But it took way too long because this individual didn't guide me in the way that I need to be guided in that vulnerable moment. So it sounds like you had your goals and the doctor had their goals. Sure. And so the doctor was trying to meet their goals, not your goals. You yeah. had certain expectations for the visit. And because those things did not meet at all, he ended up alienating you. I had 15 years of anxiety about this visit. And this doctor had 15 minutes in which to insert his agenda into my life. And those two objectives did not compute at all. Yeah. And I'm not saying the problem was definitely mine too. I had an incorrect expectation of what that visit would look like. I take that burden on as the customer, as the patient in this case. So there's got to be some give and take. There's got to be some better listening, some more willingness to be the guide and to understand what success looks like to me, some more willingness to establish real trust and real relationship there before I'm willing to really put my care in your hands. The, those things are important. So it sounds like it could have been saved with a simple question. What are your expectations and goals for today's visit? If they ask that at the beginning or even in the middle, like I think sometimes we'll have our agenda and what we'll, we're trying to push our agenda and you should be able to feel it when the patient isn't going for it. He could have salvaged the visit halfway through and say, what are your expectations? What are your goals for today? And that's not just patient experience. That is customer experience. It's setting clear expectations. It's understanding the expectations of your customer and it's designing an experience in which those things are met. So this reminds me of something that Jonathan Winkle, who's a MedPeats physician in Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh, just outside of Pittsburgh or in Pittsburgh, he talks about really getting to know your patient. Yeah, fine. It's all well and good. Get to know your patient. But how do you do that in a 15 minute visit? So one of his suggestions was goal setting. You know, you have your goals. I have mine. Let's set an agenda for the visit. You get to pick two. I get to pick one. So we'll deal with three okay. issues today. And then your expectations have been set. Right. Exactly. At least we'll be able to talk about one thing that I want to talk about. He's clearly got these other things that he's yep. worried about for me. Yep. But at least we've established an agenda because we don't have forever. We don't. We have 15 minutes. Understood. So agenda setting, expectation setting will really help drive and save 
patient experience. I love oh, it. There's I such a it. black box on the patient side in yeah. terms of what's going to happen when we go into that back room. And so if there is a little bit more clarity in the communication, a, a little bit more design in what those expectations are, it's amazing how much we're willing to go through and how much better our perceptions of the experience will be if those expectations are clear and they are net. If you deliver on the promise that you made to me, I'm going to walk out feeling as though I can trust you. Even if I didn't like it and it's not exactly what I wanted, if, if you communicated to me what you were going to do and then you did it, I'm still going to walk out with loyalty and trusting you. It's funny. It makes me think you're like walking into this. It's a black box, the patient experience. I don't know what to expect. And I could just imagine a patient to the doctor says, follow me into this room. And then you turn around and the patient's naked <laughs> for no reason. They just assumed that this is the part yeah. of the visit where they get naked. And then they're just standing there. We didn't give them good enough instructions and set the expectation. I accidentally did that as a wedding photographer one time. Um, <laughs> what? I set in clear expectations. Oh, no, you wow. didn't show up naked to the wedding with your <laughs> just your camera and a couple of canisters of film. <laughs> I was trying to tell the bride, have your mother come in here. I'm going to take some pictures of her helping you to get dressed. I didn't communicate that clearly. The next thing I, I turned around and she, she's about naked. I'm like, whoa, 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 that's not what I was asking for here at all. So yeah, it could happen in different fields as well. We've been talking about some of the importance of communication in the exam room, right? So I was hoping that we could use your customer experience expertise to help us outside the exam room, right? The yeah. before and after the office visit, scheduling an appointment, checking in, what should the waiting room be like? And then checking out. Sure. So everything else, the, the bookends of the visit. Yeah. And as far as scheduling an appointment, what have you seen where they did it well? And what have you seen where they didn't do it well? There's two principles, Brad, that I, I want to articulate to the providers that are out there when, when it comes to more of that administrative aspect of these experiences. And one is friction reduction. The, reducing the friction and the effort required on behalf of the patient to navigate the journey, the patient journey, having an understanding of what that journey looks like, what tools they have to interface with, the, the different touch points that they have to go through with you to be able to navigate that journey, where they might get stuck inside of that journey, having a good voice of patient program to where you can understand the friction points that are generated as part of that process. And you're doing everything you can to reduce the friction and make it easy to see you, easy to do business with you. That is going to be the biggest loyalty driver that you can have. People value their time more than their money even, <laughs> especially when we talk about healthcare, because a lot of this cost is out there again in the black box with all the insurance and everything, but what they feel and what they're going to tell their friends about is how hard it was to get the care that they needed and to go through the administrative aspects. So uh, the Effortless Experience by Matt Dixon and the Corporate Executive Board is a phenomenal resource for you to challenge yourself in this area of effort reduction and how to bring some of that integrity and some of this value in into these different stages of the journey and give you that intelligence to map out what that journey looks like. So that, that would be the first thing that I would offer. The second one is think about things like the peak end rule. So Colin Shaw is a great CX expert. He talks about this a lot. People are going to remember two experiences the most, the very first experience that they have with you and the very, very last one. 
It's amazing how much those two impressions are going to take over the perception that we have of you as an organization or as a doctor. So you want to maximize those touch points. And think about Disney. They want you to be blown away as you're walking up into the park and navigating that first experience. They want you to be so excited. So, I mean, they've done so much even around the transportation and the hotels that you stay into. It's just building that anticipation of being able to finally get into that park. Whereas it used to be they were a victim of Central Florida in terms of the raw, potentially very negative experience that you would have in advance of walking into the park. Disney took control and made that first impression of their vacation experience a very good one. And it's amazing how much that translates out. And then they're always going to do something special as you walk out the door. They're going to have something there that leaves you with a really good positive feeling, whether it's a character or some souvenir that you're going to be able to acquire at that time. They're going to do something and they're not going to survey you. They're not going to ask for your feedback uh, until a certain specific moment in time after your experience when you're most likely to feel really good about it. So you might have that shock of how much it costs so that they're not going to ask for your feedback at that moment, they're going to wait until you're reflecting on how great it was for your family and those memories that you established when you're going to start to really be able to have the type of feedback that they're looking for the most. So as a provider, as folks are walking in the door, what does that look like? What is that hurdle? Is there a hurdle there in terms of that accessibility? And then also as they're leaving, as that last touch point is established, what can you do to try and really send a message home to them of we care about you? And, and we're going to value your time and we're going to make this as easy as possible to guide you to your definition of success. We know you, we care about you. We're here for you. We're in your corner. We're going to restore you back to your tribe in every way that we can. If, if you can send that message home at the end, then they're going to have a really positive perception of you. How can we do that in an outpatient practice, right? Or we can talk about a hospital as well, but you know, for this visit, I was focusing more on outpatient. We can't compete with walking into the magic kingdom, but as little friction as possible. So let's make it easy to schedule an appointment. Make sure if you're scheduling online or you're scheduling over the phone, you just make it as easy as possible, which I think translates to collect as little information as you need. Whatever information you need to schedule, the less information you collect, the better, because it, that just makes it longer that they stay on the phone and uh, makes it harder. Easy to make an appointment, but then they walk into your office. How do you make that a good first impression? What should the experience be like? Are we talking about like coffee and television and snacks and Wi-Fi? Is it amenities? Is it just someone walks, looks up at them and smiles at them? What are we talking about? I mean, those are, those are good questions. And, and think about your brand promise. Think about what is the feeling that you're trying to generate in, in the type of care that you're giving to them. That's going to translate out. If you're trying to create this really dynamic and fun experience. If you're more focused on children's care as an example, then yeah, obviously that first impression is going to look very different than if you're trying to demonstrate in that waiting room environment, we're going to maximize your time. We're about efficiency here. We know that you have a cell phone. You don't need to be entertained by a, a soap opera on TV. What we're going to focus is making sure that we're going to get you back when we said we're going to get you back. And, and we're going to keep this environment super clean and super efficient. And we're, we're going to minimize distractions and allow you to do some work in, in the 10 minutes that you're going to be in there. So just valuing you in that way. If you're running late, being able to text and just say, okay, come at this time <laughs> and, and not forcing somebody to wait 30, 45 minutes and in, into that 
waiting room. It should literally be a waiting room and, and it should just be for a handful of minutes if you're operating efficiently. Otherwise, there just needs to be some clear expectation setting around what's going on and what the next step is going to be. That, that's what I would say just in terms of that waiting room environment. It's struggling between what type of experience are we trying to create here? If, if people are going to be waiting for a long period of time and, and because of the type of care that we're offering, we know that, then yeah, that's going to look very different. And you're going to set a different expectation than a dentist office maybe. It should be really quick and clear what's about to happen. And it's more focused on that efficiency. It's interesting. With running late, it is multifactorial. Patients show up late. They want to be squeezed in. Sure. So they want to be able to be seen late. They also want to be squeezed in. They also want to be seen if they show up on the wrong day. And if their insurance, if their primary care physician hasn't provided a referral, they still want to be seen even though that referral doesn't come in. And they also want us to run on time. <laughs> so there are a lot of contradictions here. And they also want us to be able to take as much time as we need with them. That all doesn't work with running on time. That's, yeah. a, that's a contradiction. So I think the brand promise of I will run on time is really challenging to meet in the yeah. setting of all those other things. Yeah. So, and then it shouldn't be promised unless there's significant time buffers being built in yeah. to allow that variability and to do what you need to do to ultimately set a clear expectation and be able to manage it and to follow through with that. But yeah, then that I, gets I, to access, right? Yeah. Yeah. If there are time buffers mm. built in, then the schedule fills up faster and then you can't get in for a couple of weeks that because of those buffers. So again, there's all these, there's all these contradictions in the yeah. expectations. So how do mm. we set those expectations? How do you communicate that? I see on a moment to moment basis that I can tell a patient, okay, um, so I wouldn't be able to tell a patient I'm running 30 minutes behind because I never know when I'm going to have a no-show. And now suddenly I'm no longer 30 minutes behind. Okay. So if I told them I'm running 30 minutes behind and then it delays my whole schedule and I get a note, I'm managing the schedule is tough, but it's such a headache for me. And it stresses me out when I see patients are waiting. I respect their time and don't want them to wait. Yes. So what do we do? Mm. To better their experience in the waiting room, I'm at a loss for what to do. Yeah. No, Set low expectations. There's, I don't know. I just, I, I hate coming into an environment where I don't know what's going on. It, yeah. it generates stress and anxiety. Okay. Cortisol. Yeah. <laughs> Urgence. So what we want is serotonin. We want that oxytonin. <laughs> yeah. Where, hey, we're in this together. We're taking care of one another. Yeah. So I mean, if, if there are somehow value added activities that could be done, I know these games are played where yeah. you know, they're brought back into some room and there's some triage performed and or some at least illusion generated of care being provided. Ophthalmology um, does this really well because you will <laughs> see 11 people before you actually see the ophthalmologist, right? right? Yeah. They're checking. There's someone to check your vision. There's someone to check your eye pressure. There's someone to check that. And they check, take your vitals. And there's someone to, right? Yeah. We, and we have this actually in ENT where we will check a hearing test. So some people yeah. might get, a, get their hearing checked before they see the doctor. Sometimes after they see the doctor, it really depends. <laughs> and that can help provide a buffer. But I think it's, it's setting expectations. I think one thing that we could reasonably do is tell you how many patients are in front of you. Yeah. Because we don't know how long each patient's going to take. So I think the best thing we could do is you're not liking that. You're not, you're crossing your arms. You're making a face. Tell, you're telling our patients, oh. there are three patients in front of you. There are two patients in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. And that sound, that feels like a express oil change. Yeah. Shop. But I like that because then I at least know I have some clarity yeah. on what the next step is going to be. And this is going to sound really, really stupid. I shouldn't even say it, but people are going to be more willing 
to wait if, if they are able to contribute to something or to do something meaningful in that time. So if, if you guys are affiliated to a nonprofit organization, maybe something that makes blankets or something like that, or somehow if in that time that you're waiting, you could contribute valuably with that time and do something hmm. meaningful, like you're making a blanket or you're, you're packing a donation box or something like that would reflect the mission driven nature of your organization yeah. would reflect one of your core values. And you'd be inviting your patients to participate in that with you. Okay. So it wouldn't feel as though they're wasting that time. It would bring that community feeling, that oxytonin, serotonin feeling of, okay, I'm waiting to be taken care of. I'm going to help take care of someone else. And this is a community that we've established together. We understand this and we're taking care of one another. Okay. So if you okay. could somehow switch the mentality of that time to where it's not me being selfish with my time. Yeah. Now the focus is on, okay, we're taking care of one another. As a community, if you can somehow shift that mentality, that would really help in a lot of these situations. Okay. So they're being productive and they're occupied. Exactly. I don't, that's okay. a very strange idea. I don't yeah. really know where that came from, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. feel like that for me would help to reduce the cortisol, yeah. reduce the anxiety and not make me sit there like, what the heck is going on? Idle it's, hands are the devil's playground. Yeah. Keep well, those hands it, occupied. It's been 10 minutes and I yeah. don't know, is it going to be another 10 minutes? Is it going to yeah. be 30 minutes? Am I going to be late to that performance management review call that I have at four o'clock? Like what yeah. is going on? Just tell me what's going on. And in having some meaningful thing that I'm contributing to and or setting clear expectations with me on what's about to happen and then being able to follow through on those are the levers that you have to pull that's going to take the focus off of me and my selfishness and put it somewhere else. Okay. So I know you have that that call at 4.30 and your appointment with the doctor was supposed to be at 2.30, but you actually showed up at 2.35 and you still had to fill out your paperwork. And we did tell you to show up a half an hour early and that paperwork took you a good 25 minutes. <laughs> so your appointment was at 2.30, but you weren't ready for th till three. Your appointment evaporated. Yeah. This is some of the stuff that we struggle with. And now everyone else has to wait because you were not on time. I do feel like, at least for me and in my recent experiences, that's been made very clear to me yeah. of you must do these things before you show up yeah, or you will not be seen on time. Yeah. And, and I think that's good. That's setting a clear expectation. And gosh darn, I went in and I filled out my online form before showing up to that appointment and things went relatively smoothly because of that. Yeah. I have some skin in the game here too, in terms of that. And I think it's okay for there to be consequences of my own tardiness or my own inability to follow a journey that you've clearly depicted for me. I think that there should be some consequences for that Okay. versus for somebody that is following the process that is showing up on time and needs to be able to move forward on the journey as designed and not have to pay for the sins of all your patients that can't do that. <laughs> But Mildred's 93. She was the patient before <laughs> you. Uh, uh, she Mildred. took two buses to get there. She did not fill out her paperwork online because it was oh, a struggle man. for her. Are Gosh. we going to kick Mildred out or are we going to see her? And now you're late. So uh, okay, sorry. I'm just, yes, this is a things. big headache for you, but it's, this is every day for us. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. I've never done it. I definitely love the puzzle though. And, and I think <laughs> these are the right questions for us to be asking and thinking yeah. about. These, this is what we do in customer experience. How can we reduce friction? How can we maximize value to the customer? And how can we leave them with a feeling and generate the right perception of us by delivering on our promises? Th these are the right questions to be having in healthcare as well. So what can we do on the way? So they just had a great visit with the doctor. Yeah. They're on their way out the door. Maybe they have to schedule an appointment. Maybe yeah. they're going to have to schedule an MRI. 
what can we do? What can we do to make it a little more of maybe a high touch experience for them? Sure. Yeah. Well, make I mean, next issue avoidance. Yeah. That's what we use in the concept contact center world. When we talk about the fact that the customer just had a problem and we know they're going to have a problem again down the road, or they're going to need some guidance from us. Again, we're the guide, they're the hero. So how can we tee that up to where that's going to be really quick and easy for them to be able to experience that next part of the journey? So I think you nailed it, Brad, in terms of, hey, here, here's what the next thing you're going to do is. I'm going to go ahead and set this up for you, but here's a reminder card. I'm going to go ahead and text you as well. But do you have any questions at all about what the next stage of this journey looks like for you? How can I, and that feeling right there of somebody is in my corner, somebody is looking out for me. I'm not alone in this journey of navigating my own health. This is an office that is looking out for me and that sincerely cares about restoring me yeah. to the place I need to go. If, if you can generate that feeling and that perception as they walk out the door, that's incredible. Yeah. Where, where so many people, it's just get out of my face. That's yeah. the message you get is get out of here. I got other patients that I'm trying to process. Go figure it out. Yeah. We don't mean to send that message, but that's what comes through. They need to feel like they're really being looked after afterwards as well. Yeah. yeah what what is cast the next? off into the four winds? Th this is a journey. <laughs> I, I just experienced one touch point in the journey. Yeah. What is that next touch point? Yeah. And how are you guiding me to it? Okay. Love it. Love it. And I'm already thinking of ways that I personally could do better at that because we have a checkout area. Like when you're yeah. leaving the office, you're supposed to get a patient plan. Usually I finish my patient plans on time. Sometimes if I'm running behind, I don't want to spend this time yeah, typing because I know you've got that 4.30 meeting. I got to get to you next and I don't want to, you know, so I'll do all this stuff later when I'm done with office hours, but then yeah. those patients are not getting those patient plans. So I need to make sure that I get those done so that they leave here in hand. This is your CAT scan. This is where it's going to be done. You'll get a call for your authorization number in two to three days. So got to, got to make sure that they're, they're getting it. and maybe even one of my partners like walks his patients out, walks them out. Whereas I just point, point to the exit. So, well, and then that type of experience, that's going to point back to the brand promise. What type yeah. of feeling do we want people to leave here with? Yeah. And him or her walking them out that, that might lead back to that brand, brand promise to that type of perception they're trying to generate. That's yeah. not going to match every culture, every office. And, and it should be, that should be a distinctive thing. But what is it that makes you distinctive and unique? What are those mentalities and behaviors that help to form the brand promise that you're creating and how can you follow through on that, especially thinking about that peak end rule that yeah. because that ultimately is going to be that perception that sticks with the patient. Yeah. Yeah. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. The, the peak end rule with the, that, that makes me really want to make sure that patient has a really positive experience on the way out. Okay. Yeah. So do you have a little more time? That, sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Oh. Cause we've got one more general question, which is what have you seen in, in your healthcare experiences or with other healthcare brands that was really out of the box, but you wish was more common, right? Like for me, and I've mentioned this on a previous podcast, I took my wife to a fancy you know, Michelin star restaurant. It was her birthday because it was the middle of winter and it was freezing. And when we left, they gave us our coats. We put our hands in our pockets and we had hand warmers in our pockets. Wow. And I do not remember what I ate and I do not <laughs> remember anything about the meal, but I will never forget, nor will she, 
hand warmers in the pockets. Talk about the peak end rule. Goodness. So holy cow, <laughs> if more like if more places were doing that on those ice cold days, yeah. those in Manhattan, you're not getting in your car, you're not, you're walking to the subway or hailing a cab. What types of things, can you think of anything like that, that you've seen out of the box mm. that you wish was more common? I am very blessed in the sense that I personally, <laughs> so far, have not had to receive a lot of healthcare. I haven't had a lot of healthcare experience. Yeah, you had a big gap there before. between leaving your parents and, and then seeking oh. primary care. Yeah. So now I'll be going back and looking at your Lyme disease episodes. But anyway, <laughs> at least at this exact moment, I've been fortunate uh, in that regard. So I'm going to go back to the Vanderbilt Children's Hospital experience that I had with my daughter. And one of the cool things is, is having uh, a journey map that they actually would hand to us. And it had this map in, in this fun graphical way of here's what your date's going to look like. Here, here's the different touch points on this journey. Here's the different people you're going to see. And it just, it sets expectations with the child, with the parents <laughs> on, on what this journey is going to look like. That way there's not things that come out of left field of what do you mean I have to go into that room and wait there now? Uh, Cause there was some of those moments where it was like, Wait, now I'm in like a staging area. What is this? I, we need to get the tonsils out. <laughs> like, yeah. what's going on here? And, but having that map, like a, literally a physical patient experience map, a journey map that, that navigated that day visually for us in advance of our experience. What, a, what an amazing way to set clear expectations with a patient. Yeah. Uh, like setting expectations, giving some semblance of control. Exactly. Right? Like you feel at, so out of control. You're out of your element. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. And you get more of a sense of expectation and control. So whether that's like a graphic, a little infographic that you send to their phone or just some way where you're bringing the cortisol down, yeah, <laughs> removing some of that vulnerability and some of that out of control feeling that right there is an innovative technique. It makes people less a victim of your process Yeah, and the hurdles that you're requiring them to jump through. And now it's about, here, here's what we're doing for you. Here's how we're serving you. Yeah. And it's amazing how different we perceive those two things, even if they're the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my, for surgery, my patients get information from the hospital. They get information from me. They've got to get some, they now have to get COVID tests, or blood tests. Yeah. or. But then the day of, I, I think it's a good idea for me. I could just. This is what's going to happen that day. You're going to take off your clothes, you're going to change into a gown. You're going to be in a hospital bed. Someone's yep. going to start your IV. You're going to meet the operating room. Nurse, you're going to meet the anesthesiologist. You're going to see me. Perfect. You're going to fill out some forms together. You're going to go back. They're going to put you on an operating room table, put yeah. you to sleep through the IV. You're going to wake up. You're going to be in the recovery room. Once you're a little more awake, we'll get a family member. And once your pain is under control, and you're, you pee and you drink something and then you can go. Man, that's so much better than the packet I didn't read. Yeah. Language I don't understand. Yeah. What, what you just articulated, I, I can survive that experience. In and fact, that's so I, easy for me to do. I just type <laughs> it up once yeah. and have my surgical scheduler send it to everybody because everybody's experience is the same unless they're staying overnight. Yeah. Or if it's a kid, so I could just have a couple different iterations exactly. of that. I think things like that, yeah. it's remarkable how much that can affect our mentality in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Here's what your day is going to look like. Yeah. 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 Great. 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 Okay. One more thing. So I've been talking to the head of HR in my company and it, it looks like an expectation 
from HR in all fields is this tsunami of employees leaving. Okay. Right. There's burnout. Yeah. There, the, the COVID has really laid bare a lot of problems and even mm. obviously created other problems, but people are unsatisfied. They're unsatisfied with their jobs. They're unsatisfied with their lives. They're depressed. They're upset and they're looking for change. And so one place that they're looking is in their careers. So they're going to be changing jobs. They're going to be looking for fulfillment elsewhere. But we're seeing that everywhere, but especially in healthcare. So what I need from my partners yeah. is I need, all the physicians in my practice, is we all need to be reaching out to our staff, checking in with them, making sure we're connecting with them, making sure that we know them, making sure that they feel fulfilled, that they know they're yeah. part of the team, that yeah. they know they're valued, that they know. So I've got to write this letter without it feeling too touchy-feely. Like physicians are concrete thinkers. Give yeah. me something to do. X, Y, Z, and I'll do it. I'll check it off my list. Great. Then I can move on to the next thing. So I, how do I write this email to them to get them to start engaging with staff more on a more human level and expressing their gratitude for what they do every day? I'll, I'll tell you, you won't be able to do that in an email. <laughs> okay. So that could be a great start. Let me read you something I got this morning from my peers at Officium. Hello, Nate. We, your officium team, <laughs> would like to show our appreciation for how positive and amazingly uplifting you always are. It isn't easy to be the guy who smiles and spreads good mood and cheer all the time. Just know that your coworkers have noticed and appreciate your efforts. You help all of us to remember when life kicks in, and I, I have this giant inflatable kickball dart game that is now in my backyard. When life kicks in, it's great to have someone who kicks you forward. Thanks for being that person for officium. This right here means more to me than anything that my leadership could say. Yeah, <laughs> This is my peers recognizing what I'm trying to do for them and for the organization and for our customers. There's nothing more meaningful than that in a working environment. You feel seen. Absolutely. And I told my co, I almost cried reading that to him because eight months ago, he asked me, what do you want your coworkers to think of you? What do you want them to say about you? And I think some of those like exact words it's like, what a validation that I'm not at all there. I'm not even close. But like, I am on the journey of becoming the person that I want to be. And I'm contributing in the ways that I want to contribute inside of Officium Labs. And I am being recognized for that by my leadership and by my peers. It's, it's amazing how galvanizing that is and how much loyalty is generated from that. It cannot be done by just the leader, though the leader will help to set the tone and create a culture in which that happens. The most valuable thing that you could do as a leader is to create the type of organic collisions and the type of relationships in which peers edify and admonish one another in these types of ways. Then it, in that type of environment, you can overcome anything that the world is going to throw at us. But it, it's so rare to see that type of culture where peers just lock together that way and approach the challenges together. That is what Simon Sinek describes as a circle of safety or a circle of trust that's established in the organization. I'm locked into this tribe. So that leaders is what you are looking to create inside of your practice where people are gonna lock each other in. You're trying to create that circle of safety. Read Leaders Eat Last. Simon Sinek is one of the greatest contributions of how to create a culture like that. So I, I would definitely check that out as a resource. That'll challenge you of, of how to ultimately do this, some practical ways that you can do it. 
it's just a matter of the heart too. It's you first demonstrating in, in, in so many ways that authentically you care about the organization and the people in it even more than maybe you care about yourself and your own objectives. When there's a leader that's able to do that and, and to express that type of vulnerability and, to, and that authenticity, it's going to be mirrored by everybody else inside of that company. Everybody drops their knives that they were about to stick in one another's back. As I can actually trust my coworkers now. I, I can be myself here. I can be vulnerable here. I can work towards the common objectives that we have together as an organization without feeling like I have to protect myself from my coworkers. It's hard to create an environment like that, but it is possible. Officium Labs is showing me that it's possible. So it, but it takes time. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. So if people want to hear more of that, right, where can they find you? Where can they find your podcast? Yeah. I mean, go to officiumlabs.io. We have our Experience Matters podcast, which uh, Sydney Nelson helps to create. I host it. It's just a great time. You know, we have a lot of great CX minds. We have one great episode on patient experience, which actually features Brian Carlson, who's the VP of, of patient health at, at uh, Vanderbilt Health. So we'd definitely love for people to check that out. I'm on Twitter at customer is first. So you can find me there as well or on LinkedIn, just search for Nate Brown. And I finally started popping up, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> oh yeah. A lot of Nate Browns out there. There's a lot of Nate Browns out there. <laughs> I'm on the map of Nate Browns. And if you're having trouble finding Nate, find me, and then you'll, you'll find him on my list. You'll link thank to you, Nate, Brad. So. so Nate Brown, thank you so much. Officium Labs, looking forward to hearing more from you and your podcast. I've been loving it. And thanks a lot for helping us to serve our patients better. And thank you, Brad, for asking the tough questions, for generating these thoughts, getting people in a different mindset and having people approach their work differently. You're one of the good ones. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. One last thing before we go. Remember Advice Media? Don't forget to schedule a consult with them to receive a $60 gift card and strategic insight on what your current digital marketing is doing or not doing for you. Contact Advice Media at drpodcastnetwork.com slash advice media. Again, that's drpodcastnetwork.com slash advice media. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. <laughs>